0: Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. This week, Tucson Streetcar. Susonans who live or frequent the downtown area are familiar with the sound of the Sunlink streetcar, which runs about four miles from west of I-10 to the University of Arizona campus. The streetcar just celebrated five years of service, and this week we're exploring how it came to be, what people think about it, and what its future could hold. For our first stop, we hopped on the streetcar to ask some riders what they think.
1: I think in just overall, in,
2: in general, downtown has been, uh, been growing and I, I think the streetcar has had a, a, a role to play in that. Uh, there's just a lot more activity between downtown and the university and in between uh, than there's been in a while, I think. It's really growing, so it's great to see.
1: I think this is a great addition to the public transportation from my point of view. It's just inviting, so it's easy, cool, It's a nice place to either do some work uh, or to meditate.
3: I work on campus, so I take the streetcar pretty regularly after work to get to meetings downtown on campus or on University Boulevard. Working on campus, I think you see a change, students being able to live downtown and and commute to campus for school. I also think you see a more kind of positive attitude with the, the local businesses because the streetcar's been able to give people access um, to everything from University, 4th Avenue, and downtown.
2: It's cool during the week and then it's harder during the weekends because, you know, it's a longer delay in time and then the week it's you know, just the easy way to get around campus because I live right down, right by the McDonald's, like where those dorms are. I don't live out the
0: dorms, I live in the apartments right by the dorms, so it's pretty convenient. Those were the voices of Brian Rosenbaum, Shinzen Young, Lisa Fahey, and Frankie De Los Santos. One of the streetcar's main backers was Steve Farley, who led the push to envision it and get funding for its construction. To understand what led to its creation, Farley says we have to go back nearly 20 years.
4: It all started when I was uh, asked to become part of a group uh, that the city was putting together to look at the future of 5th, 6th Street. And, um, I was, I just got a postcard in my mailbox that they're looking for citizens to get on this group. And I got on this group and there was a PowerPoint slide that sort of started my, all my transit advocacy and ultimately all my political career, which was, uh, the head, the headline of the PowerPoint slide was obstacles to throughput. And the number one obstacle to throughput that some engineer had put together in this slide was pedestrians. And I turned to the other people in that room from neighborhood associations and other folks and and, uh, and asked them, is that the city you wanna live in? Because it wasn't the city I wanted to live in. And they pretty much agreed that the city was trying to push for an, a solution for 5th, 6th Street that was adding capacity through widening. And when you consider all the, uh, the schools, five different schools along that route, the University of Arizona, um, you, you, the historic neighborhoods, that was just a bad idea there were five of us ultimately, who decided to, to uh, go to the deputy director of transportation at the time, Jim Glock, and send him a little VHS video. And we watched it together about how light rail was helping Western cities uh, for the economic development with uh, transportation capacity. And he said, uh, Jim said at the time, uh, I think you're right, Tucson would be great for light rail, but I don't think people want it. So uh, we decided right then and there to start a group called Tucsonans for Sensible Transportation.
0: What year was that?
4: That was uh, uh, 2000, 2001. And uh, then in uh, 2002, the city had a road, a road tax, a half-cent sales tax just for roads, uh, had virtually nothing for transit. Transit hadn't been invested in since eight, 1987. So we came up with our own initiative while we fought that one. And we uh, had a citizens initiative that had a light rail system down Broadway and South 6th. It had a streetcar in uh, downtown Tucson. It had uh, a much better bus system, bikeways, sidewalks, and neighborhood street maintenance paid for forever with a dedicated funding source, which certainly could be used these days. We got 18,000 citizen signatures on that. It was on the ballot in November 2003. And the home builders and the car dealers threw in about 300000 bucks against it, and we went down hard. But uh, the next day, I didn't give up. I went over to the home builder's office. I talked with their CEO. And I said, uh, you know, uh, we're going to just keep beating each other up unless we figure out how to work together on this stuff. Let's figure out how we can have something that has the transit we need and the roads we need, and let's work together on it. And that really started the RTA process.
0: So the RTA, Regional Transportation Authority, which is still around has the streetcar money in it.
4: The streetcar money in the RTA was half the money we needed. Right, it was the local it. match we needed to go out and get federal funding or some other source of funding to do the rest of it. That was how we got the agreement to get it done. And there were certain people in the the city and the county who really were kinda of hoping we wouldn't get that other match so they could use the money for something else. And we ended up winning the largest single grant from the Tiger Grant the first year was offered in 2010, $63 million.
0: If I remember correctly, Bob Walkup was still mayor when yeah. the Tiger Grant came in. There was a big uh, to-do down at the, the train station. Oh, that was a huge
4: day. I mean, Bob Bob was a huge skeptic initially. I, re- I remember talking to him about the streetcar and light rail in uh, the year 2001. But the more he looked into it, he's an engineer. Uh, the more you saw, you know, this could really be doing something because it's not just transportation mode and it's kind of a nifty one at that. It's, it also is a way of developing your economy and really the area it goes through, you you get uh, the kind of economic development that can really bring a, a dead downtown back. So he became one of the biggest boosters uh, by the time we got that uh, that effort to get the federal funding. There was a lot of opposition initially because whenever you have a large piece of expensive infrastructure that nobody's ever done in their city before, people don't know what it is. They just know that it's expensive. <laughs> so we knew we weren't going to get a full-on light rail system through the RTA, but we could get the streetcar in place almost like a, a proof of concept. So you could people could see what was going on and, and, and see the success that came from it. And there is always the intention that we expand it from there once it's proven a success. And that's part of what I'm pushing for right now.
0: That was streetcar proponent Steve Farley. We'll hear more from him later in the show. First, a look at ridership. The streetcar hosted its first 1 million rides about 10 months after it began running. Then it took 14 months to hit a second million riders. At the four-year mark, ridership had dropped to about 950,000 people a year, a number that has held through this fifth year. Ridership has typically gone up during the University of Arizona school year and down when students are away in the summer. The city adjusts the streetcar's hours accordingly, running shorter days when students are not creating high demand. Now let's hear for some businesses along the route. AZPM's Jake Steinberg talked with several merchants along North 4th Avenue. Next stop, 4th Avenue and 6th
3: Street.
2: Doors to my left. Caruso's Italian restaurant on 4th Avenue is the definitive old school Italian restaurant. It's been in business since 1934. Generations of Tucsonans have shared candlelit pasta over its red and white checkered tablecloths. Why? Is the tablecloth always the same?
3: So the tablecloth is traditional, so in Italy they use these checked, they're picnic tablecloths really. And I'm visiting
2: Andy Motzkin. She grew up at the restaurant and is now the fourth generation in her family to run the business. In all those years, she says there was only one moment when it looked like they might have to close. Do you remember what you first thought when you heard that they were proposing a streetcar line go through 4th Avenue?
3: Oh my gosh. (laughs) No. Construction for years. Oh, it's going to kill us. That was my first reaction. Quickly, I'm a pretty positive person, quickly I decided that if we could just get through the construction part of it, that it could be a good thing for us. Um, Eventually it would be a great place.
2: Building the streetcar would mean eliminating all the parking in front of the restaurant and making the street uncrossable. The stretch of 4th near Caruso's was under construction for about a year, but Motzkin says eventually began to feel like eternity.
3: It wasn't that bad all the time, but the media, sorry, really made it out to be disastrous. Don't go down in the area. It's, you know, really hard to get around in the area and, you know, we would perpetually call the news and say, please don't do that. You know, you're killing us down here. Please. Encourage people to come down in this area. It's really not that bad. They're they're trying really hard to make parking and you know every time you turn on the news, avoid this area. <laughs>
2: Motzkin says she lost a quarter of her business. She wasn't alone or the worst off. Merchants on Fourth Avenue talk about the streetcar construction like a war story. It was um, scariest environment imaginable for a business owner. Lizzie Mead owns Silver Sea Jewelry. It's a funky little shop that sells deep sea themed jewelry. Mead makes most of it herself. There were
5: times where I was putting things on a sale table as I made them, selling things for up to 90% off just to have revenue come in.
2: Like, like, wow, like. (laughs) What was the impact of that on your business, on the books? A considerable
5: loss we experienced over the course of the construction and then the testing period before the streetcar was active, Um, was about a year and a half. And in that year and a half, it was about a $40,000 loss. So for someone as tiny as I am, like, that's very
2: impactful in in all the worst ways. (laughs) She's only recently been able to recoup her losses. But she says she's still paying off debt from that time. Today, Mead is happy with the streetcar. She says it brings a lot of traffic to her business. But things could have gone the other way.
5: I would say to other people in communities that are going to have a streetcar and they're thinking about whether they want to stay in their location or run, it's all about whether you're playing the long game or the short game. And I I love 4th Avenue. I want to be here
2: another 20 years if I can. So I'm in it for the long haul, so I decided to stay through the construction. Meade wasn't always on 4th. She was downtown for five years, but that changed when the streetcar was announced.
0: This week we're talking about the evolution and future of Tucson's streetcar, which has been in service for five years. Tucson is among about a dozen cities that added streetcars, prompting Forbes magazine to say there's been an urban streetcar revival in the last two decades. Planning for the streetcar began about that long ago under former mayor Bob Walkup. Then Tucson Mayor Jonathan Rothschild picked up the project when he took office.
1: I had some very mixed feelings at that time. Uh, Not that it wouldn't ultimately be good for downtown, but those construction pains are always difficult. When the streetcar first came, and I'll probably never forget that night, I don't know if you were out there, I mean, the whole city came out. You know, they were just thrilled. The theory of the streetcar is that It will, and it has, drawn investors into the city, and that's why you see some of the buildings you see, both uh, residential and commercial, um, and that people would then use that streetcar. They are using the streetcar. We were lucky enough when the thing was planned out. We had a, a subsidy from the RTA for about six years uh, and that subsidy is about to run out. so that's about to hit the budget again. Uh, we're, it's it's you know when you're a southwestern culture, uh, we're still not at the point a with the density we need along the streetcar route and B kind of with an understanding that there are alternative modes of transportation uh, the one that uh, so so we still need more riders. Uh, uh, But I can tell you from the point of view of it helping to build downtown, it was one of the key elements of the investors coming in, seeing a fixed route that, that was a nice fixed route and saying, we want to be along this. So from that perspective, it's been good.
0: Others found themselves on the streetcar line simply because that's where they'd been in business for decades. Let's go back out with AZPM reporter Jake Steinberg, whose streetcar journey took him to downtown businesses.
5: Congress Street and 6th Avenue. Doors to my left.
2: Remember Lizzie Mead? She's been selling her own jewelry on 4th Avenue for 11 years. She also incorporates local artists' work into her trinkets.
5: Actually, this is probably her most popular image. That's a T-Rex. It's a T-Rex drinking
2: tea. Oh, I love that. Yeah. He's got a little hat, too. Yeah. (laughs) Mead's store isn't expensive, and it oozes kitsch. It's like a lot of the shops on 4th. Mead used to be on Congress. Her store was downtown when little else was. But her rent gradually began to rise, and with the announcement of the streetcar, she saw the writing on the wall. A streetcar in a community is a vote of confidence for that community, Um,
5: but it also can raise the stakes in an area, so you have properties being you know, bought and sold, raising property taxes, rents can go up.
2: She says a lot of what she saw happening downtown is now beginning to happen on 4th Avenue. Rents are rising. Local businesses are being displaced by student housing. She says many merchants didn't know that would be an impact of the streetcar. So one of
5: the unforeseen or probably foreseen from a, a city perspective or a mayor and council perspective, they know that a streetcar brings development. At the time that this was going on, we weren't thinking streetcar equals large development that may not be healthy for the area. So we have to really watch what's coming in and be cognizant of a developer's impact on our community because we love this area
2: so much and we're very invested. The streetcar's ability to drive development may be controversial on Fourth Avenue, but not everyone sees it as a bad thing. Todd Hanley is the general manager of Hotel Congress, which has held down its corner spot for a hundred years. He says we shouldn't fear growth coming to the central city. You, you
6: call it maybe the gentrification, or you know the aspect where a small local mom-and-pop business because the value of property the value of rent lease is dramatically higher than it was pre the the streetcar i think that's just a reality of developing a a wonderful downtown there there is as as you are probably fully aware cities where that's become a true issue where you can't even afford to live let alone open up a business we're not obviously there yet I, i think The city of Tucson and our municipalities would be able to learn from some of those missteps as we grow and develop our downtown.
2: Hanley has been at Hotel Congress since 2003. He's seen firsthand how
6: downtown has changed. He recalls the way things used to be. It's dramatically changed. I mean, from sometimes you feel like people that are homeless outnumbering the people that are coming downtown to have dinner or go have a cocktail or a beer to now this place on a Tuesday night is as busy as it was back on a Friday five, six years ago.
2: There are plenty of new businesses downtown taking advantage of the streetcar traffic. One of them is Batch. The whiskey and donut bar opened in 2016. Owner Ronnie Spies says when he was offered a space on Congress, he couldn't turn it down. Whiskey and donuts is not a big market thing, so uh, it was really this the right time and place, uh, and that's why we chose it. It kind of came to us, and it was, it was perfect. It would probably be downtown or nowhere, I would say. Spies grew up in Tucson and remembers not ever having a reason to come to downtown. Now he lives downtown and says the streetcar makes Tucson feel like a real city. And so it's, it's kind of neat. Not only because it brings people down here, but when
1: you're sitting on that patio, the streetcar is an arm's length away, and it's a fun experience when it goes zipping by.
2: For The Buzz, I'm Jake Steinberg.
0: So what's the future of the streetcar? Well, that depends on who you ask. To start answering that question, we decided to hop back on board to see what riders think. I'm pretty fair. Well, for
5: me, I get the disability discount. Uh, it's, it's just easy, yeah, you know, smooth ride. Don't have to deal with a lot of the stuff that you do on the buses. That's why I wish I had more routes. <laughs> What's really important
4: is that we connect uh, Tucson Mall to. Uh, the U of A campus and uh, inter- our you know, Tucson International Airport, and maybe even further north and south. I would just reiterate you know, the importance of people
0: having, um, you know uh, options, modal options for people to get around and you know, go about their business. That was Brian Doyle and Ryan Stevenson. But they're not the only ones thinking about what's next for the newest mode of public transportation in Tucson. It's been on Steve Farley's mind since before the construction of the streetcar line was even finished. We now return to our conversation with the man who's been called the streetcar's biggest cheerleader. Farley has been pushing to extend the line beyond its current four-mile path. He says the original design included other routes. We're not leaving alone those old plans to be able to
4: expand this thing. We have to move forward on it, and I'm very optimistic about the chance of us actually doing it with local and private funds. Because if you do it locally and privately, you could build it for about a third of the cost in about a half the time that we did with the federal funds, with the first stretch of the streetcar. And given how, uh, how it's proven its economic development prowess, Developing private sector funding for the capital expenses, I think, is something that, that given the right leadership, we could absolutely push for and get done so that we can get the success of this well beyond downtown. Go out to the east side, north side, south side, airport connection, connect all the University of Arizona health campuses with the main campus and the airport. and There's amazing things we can do. And If we go out all Broadway connecting everything that way and hook that in with um, South Tucson in another line to make that happen— This whole city could be um, ready to take off economically as well as burning less carbon.
0: Some of those routes you've talked about, not a lot of room for road expansion. How would you put in a streetcar that would obviously you'd have to have tracks going both ways to get people out and back to build more infrastructure? Well, remember,
4: at capacity, even if if you're having super uh, fast headways, uh, you're only operating a streetcar every 10, 10 minutes that facility so if you're doing it in a, in in traffic which is something you can do through stretches where there aren't backed up and then you can do in the uh, uh, s- intersection signalization prioritization so that you can get through quickly through the intersections uh, then you've got a pretty efficient system and there are stretches where you can certainly build in uh, dedicated rights away to make it operate more like a light rail than a streetcar and get you there much faster through large stretches of this to make it work uh, and then there can be dedicated places you can go off off, off the the route. Uh, and there's new uh, vehicles out there that are rail vehicles that don't need to have electric overhead wires all the time. They can run on wire sometimes, charge up their batteries and then off-wire for sections um, that where they're running purely on their battery. So there's a lot of new technology coming out to make that work. Um, that, that, that this, the whole streetcar can be a lot more nimble where it goes, but at the same time, this permanence is part of what unlocks that, that economic development effect. Because companies that offer finance for projects want to know there will be customers coming there all the time, and the permanence of the, the streetcar makes it much better than any rubber-tired uh, bus or something because those can be moved to any other place.
0: I know uh, when I hear critics of, of the current streetcar line, they said it's just for university students, moving them from their high-rise dorms to campus or campus to a bar downtown. Well, I'd uh, rather somewhere. have them do with that than drinking and driving. Is, is that a fair <laughs> assessment, though, that that's really all it is right now? Well,
4: it's fair. that The ridership surveys show about 60 to 70% of the, the regular usage on the streetcar are university-related. But what's wrong with that? Our university is our main economic generator here in the region. And if you can get fewer cars on the street and more people using the streetcar in the most congested part of our city, then that helps us be able to relieve congestion, get more activity, uh, more economic activity, because when you're riding a streetcar, you see some sort of restaurant or bar you might want to try later. You might get off and check that out, and you don't do that. When you're in your car, you're focused on going from A to B, and everyone else is just in your way. Uh, If you're on the streetcar, you're together with other people, and you're building civil society, you're looking at places you might want to... And it just helps the overall economy and your overall sense of community. So I, I have no problem. And the, obviously it's helping the university because right now the university is the biggest uh, trip generator on the line. But once we build up stuff where it's going to Tucson Mall or it's going to the airport, where it's going out to uh, Park Mall, uh, Williams Center, um, the, the, uh, the Elcon, the, then you've got a whole lot of other trip generators along the way that, that expand that possibility.
0: Tucson hates to look to Phoenix uh, that Phoenix potentially has done anything correctly. But looking at their light rail, have they done things correctly or maybe things they haven't done correctly that Tucson can learn from as we talk about expansion? Well, yeah,
4: their their light rail has been uh, has been good in terms of their their ridership is huge. They've been able to uh, to do a lot of development along Central that otherwise wouldn't have happened, and their downtown is coming back. They still don't they have the they don't have the authenticity and the and the genuineness of our downtown. Uh, and people don't really hang out in downtown Phoenix. They've tried a lot of things that haven't quite worked. Uh, there's Phoenix is still such a, a city where people are isolated from one another in a way that is, is unpleasant. It certainly has helped the ASU with their ability to have a downtown campus and a Tempe campus, and people can go back and forth between the two, and that's that's been part of what's going on. But interestingly, Tempe itself is learning from Tucson. They, they, they've seen our success in the streetcar here, and they're building their own Tempe streetcar. Uh, in the area around Tempe Town Lake and into the downtown of Mill Avenue and and, uh, and ASU and that area up there. And they see our success, and they've been trying to push that one through, and they're well underway in getting that done because they've seen our success here in Tucson. So it's nice to see Phoenix
0: copying Tucson once in a while. As we look at this five-year anniversary of the streetcar actually running, is this what you envisioned? Uh, where we are now, are you happy with at this point where we are. It's so interesting
4: when you talk to like students who've only been here for a couple of years and they just take the streetcar for granted. Like, of course, it's part of Tucson. It's part of, uh, part of why I use it every day and that type of thing. And when you go back and think before we had it, you think about how many people who were complaining about construction at the time, some of those uh, those shop owners. Those of us who've been here and remember downtown in the 90s and the early 21st century, it was not a good place to be if you you went screaming at 5 pm on on a Friday. But now you compare the 24 seven activity and the the range and and, scope of types of people who are there all the time. It isn't just college kids, it's folks all over. It's it's exactly what we knew was going to happen and the people would uh, like scoffed at and say, oh, you're just a bunch of dreamers. There's no way there's anything Well, this will happen. We just need to expand it. So this benefit can go to throughout the city. And, and uh, there's no reason why that can't happen right now.
0: All right. Well, thanks for sitting down with us.
4: Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate
0: it. That was Steve Farley. And that's the buzz for this week.
1: This is the last stop, so be sure to collect all of your personal belongings as
4: you exit. Thank you for running suddenly.
0: In the coming weeks, we're working on stories about pedestrian fatalities and the ways in which Tucson could make roads safer, plus conversations with city leaders about how local government can become more innovative. You can also submit your own ideas for us or find other episodes at azpm.org. If you're listening on the go, subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Ariana Brocious is the show's producer and editor with help this week from Meredith O'Neill. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. Andrea Kelly is the news director. And our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening.
5: Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.